0: In my first church, I had a minister of music whose hair was about the length of mine, but at that time, the people felt that he was a hippie. And so they began to complain. I talked to one of our deacons, Vernon Gibson, and I said, Vernon, the people are upset with Phil's hair. What should I do? Vernon, being a wiser, older man, said nothing. He said, Wendell... Change happens. Hair gets long, hair gets short. Dresses get long, dresses get short. Cars get big, cars get little. Things change, don't do anything. Well, that was good advice because things do change. Sometimes change is good, sometimes change is not so good. America has changed. I was talking with someone recently, and they said, I I feel a little bit like Rip Van Winkle. I, I feel that I have gone to sleep and woke up in a different country. Well, some of us feel that way. I googled the question, who is America, as I was preparing this message, who is America as far as religion is concerned? And there are those who say that we are a secular society, therefore we are to remove all references to religion from the public square. So there is to be no public prayer, there is to be no nativity scene. We are to remove under God from the Pledge of Allegiance because we are a secular nation. There are others, and I assume most of us, who believe that this is a religious nation, that it was founded upon the Judeo-Christian value system. But who are we religiously? That's a question that has been in my mind. What is our economic philosophy as a country? Are we capitalists? The dictionary defines capitalism as an economic system characterized by private or corporation ownership of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision rather than by state control. So are we a capitalist society or are we socialist? The dictionary defines socialism as any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. And there are those who see the government's involvement in the automobile companies and in the banks and so forth as being a move away from capitalism to socialism. Who are we as a people? Who are we as Americans? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 3. The psalmist wrote in the Lord, I take refuge, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed... What is the foundation on which this nation was built? And ladies and gentlemen, it is my contention that the foundation upon which this country was built is Christianity. I can go back to the early settlers who came here in 1620 on the Mayflower. They signed the Mayflower Compact that read, They had come for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's what they said. We have come to this land for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. The first public building built in this country was a Christian church. And those early settlers would gather together when times were difficult to seek God's intervention and favor. When times were abundant and they were blessed, then they would gather in that church to thank God for His provision. But the first public building was a Christian church. In 1643, more settlers arrived in this land. They formed a New England Confederation and wrote the first Constitution that began whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel, purity, and peace. So when I look back at our history and I see those early settlers who came to this country both in 1620 and in 1643, they both said the same thing. They had come for the purpose of advancing the Christian faith. But things changed. From the arrival of those early settlers up until this nation became a country, about 150 years took place. During that 150-year period of time, those early settlers died, and their principles were compromised. Because their descendants were more interested in wealth than they were in faith, and that continues to this day. In the last election, evangelicals said that economic issues were more important to them than moral issues. England also contributed to the moral demise of this country during that period of time. England had a program in which they sent prisoners to America to serve as indentured servants. They also became involved in our politics at that time. In 1773, Pennsylvania passed a law that would help end slavery. There were other colonies who attempted similar things. King George III vetoed that legislation by saying, America is a part of the British Empire. And if the British Empire has slavery, then America will have slavery also. Religious fervor died during that 150 years. From the arrival of those early settlers until we became a country, religious fervor died. 1730 10% of those in the colonies actually attended church how different from those who originally came within that 150 year period they went from being a people who had come for the advancement of the Christian faith to 10% actually attending church But then there was another change. A spiritual revival began to grow at this time. And from those seeds that had been planted by the early settlers, a spiritual hunger developed. In 1734, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Whitefield were used of God to usher in the Great Awakening. And literally tens of thousands of Americans during that period of time were swept into the kingdom of God. They became people of faith. And those revivals and those preachers had an incredible impact on our founding fathers. In fact, Benjamin Franklin wrote, It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if all the world were growing religious, so that one could not walk the town in an evening without hearing songs sung in different families of every street. Ladies and gentlemen, the Great Awakening was the catalyst for the Reformation. The great awakening that took place at that time where the gospel was proclaimed and people were saved, their lives were changed. That was the catalyst for the reformation that followed. In fact, some political science professors at the University of Houston did a study asking the question, what was the great influence on our founding fathers? They cataloged 15,000 of their quotes and found that 94% of them had been inspired by the Bible, our founding fathers. John Adams declared Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew and Reverend Dr. Samuel Cooper as two of the individuals most conspicuous, the most ardent, and influential in the awakening and revival of American principles and feelings that led to our independence. You see, there was a change that took place. The settlers came, and they were committed to God, to Jesus Christ. And then there is a period of time when that religious fervor died, but then God revived it. He sent the great awakening, and it began to affect our public policy. John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, one of the authors of the Constitution, wrote, It is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Can you imagine that coming from the Supreme Court today? It is our duty in our Christian nation to select Christian rulers. Delaware, along with other states, required office holders to take an oath affirming their Christian faith before they could be office holders. In 1782, Congress approved the Bible as a textbook in the schools. And those Bibles were paid for with tax dollars. That was challenged. And in 1844... The Supreme Court ruled, why should not the Bible and especially the New Testament be read and taught as a divine revelation in the schools? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? So as we look at our country... I conclude that the foundation on which this nation was built is a Christian foundation. The settlers who came to this country said that they had come for the advancement of the Christian faith. There was a period of time when their descendants fell away from God. The people lost their spiritual fervor. Only 10% of the people were attending church. But then God sent a revival, the Great Awakening. And the people turned again to God. Our two primary documents came out of this spiritual foundation. The Declaration of Independence. The prologue begins. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I'm glad they put it that way. Our rights do not come for the president because if they did, he could take them away. Our rights do not come from Congress because if they did, they could take them away. Our rights do not come from the courts because if they did, they could take them away. Our rights come from God. And our forefathers recognized this. Now, I know today that that in the schools, Students are generally taught that the Declaration of Independence came in response to taxation without representation. That was one concern. But the primary concern was a concern about spiritual issues. You see, our founding fathers believed God to be the supreme judge. And they wrote, We, therefore, the representatives of the United States in general Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world. Our founding fathers believed that God was the judge, that he was the supreme judge. Because they believed that, they looked to God for divine protection. And so they wrote, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. They look to God for protection. They look to God for divine guidance. In fact, the Declaration of Independence came out of a prayer meeting. When Congress met to debate the Declaration of Independence, they went to their knees in prayer. I haven't seen that recently on C-SPAN. Can you imagine what would happen if Congress was debating something of substance today? And they turned to God in prayer. They went to their knees in prayer. That's what they did. As they debated the Declaration of Independence, they prayed. Silas Dean said that that time of prayer and Scripture reading was so powerful that even Quakers shed tears. I'm not sure what that means, but that's what he said. (laughs) But I want you to understand that that the Declaration of Independence, one one of our founding documents, came out of a prayer meeting. As Congress prayed, they looked to God. They sought after God. They prayed. The Constitution, our other document, James Madison wrote, The Future and Success of America is not in this Constitution, but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded. The success of America is not in the Constitution, but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded. Well, if that is so, no wonder our country is so shaken today. If the success of this country is dependent upon the laws of God. And we have removed God and His laws from the public square, from our thinking. No wonder we are floundering today. But that's what they believed. You ever wonder where did the idea of three branches of government come from? Came from the Bible. Isaiah chapter 33, verse number 22 For the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative. The Lord is our king. That's the executive. The idea of three branches of government came from God's Word. Our founding fathers recognized the importance of religious liberty... Which concerns me today. They protected it in the Constitution, but since we have strayed so far away from the Constitution today, I I think that much of our religious liberty is being threatened today, and I'm, I'm very concerned about that. The First Amendment to our Constitution says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And yet there is an insidious move today within this country through the separation of church and state. And I believe a misunderstanding of the separation of church and state to take away some of that religious liberty. It's interesting to me. The separation of church and state is not, of course, in the Constitution. It was a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to some Baptist pastors in Danbury, Connecticut. And so he mentioned that wall of separation. I was at a tour conducted by David Barton on Capitol Hill uh, not long ago. Joe Wilson had set it up and David Barton was taking us through and telling us some things about our religious heritage. And he said that Thomas Jefferson attended a church that was held there in the Capitol building. And then because of the distance that was involved, he helped establish a church that was in a federal building closer to the White House. Which does not sound to me like the modern interpretation of separation of church and state. The Supreme Court declared in 1892, Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based on and must include the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible for it to be otherwise. To this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. Supreme Court. Well, when I look at our country and ask the question, who are we? What is our foundation? I believe it's a Christian foundation. I look at our documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and see that the Declaration of Independence came out of a prayer meeting and the Constitution was written by men who believed God to be the supreme judge. And we have drifted dangerously far from our foundation. Can it be restored? I'll be candid with you. For some time, I have believed and felt that it would not be restored. For some time, I have believed and felt that America would uh, face God's judgment, and perhaps we are now. But as I prayed about this message, and I did the research on the message and so forth, I hope it's of God, but I began to believe that we can be restored. There was something that began to well up in my heart when I considered other spiritually dark days in our nation 10% of the population attending church, people having turned away from God, more interested in wealth than in spiritual issues. And as I began to rehearse those things in my mind and pray about those things, it seems in my spirit that there came a belief that we can have revival. That we can see a move of God. But what is required? Well, Don sang it just a while ago in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal their land folks what is required if we're going to see a move of God what is required if we are going to become a godly people again what is required well first of all there must be reverence for God we are too flippant In our relationship to God, there must be reverence for God. He said, if my people... Listen, as believers, we are not citizens of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. If my people who are called by my name, we are called by the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we should behave accordingly. We should live our lives as the people of God. There must be repentance. The word repent means to turn away. Then I'm going one way and I turn and go another way. So there's a reverence towards God. There's a repentance of sin. Humble themselves, he said. We're going through an humbling time, aren't we? I mean, I look out here, you know, we talk about it all the time, about how much money that's been lost, you know, trillions of dollars have been lost. We are floundering, not, it seems sometimes, knowing which way we're going. The truth is, in some respect, this is an humbling time for America. But you know that could be the best thing that has happened to us? Because it might bring us to the second requirement, which is to pray. Humble themselves and pray. We desperately need to pray. We desperately need to turn to God. We desperately need to cry out to God, just as they did when the Declaration of Independence was being debated. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. You see, the problem that we have today is that we don't want to turn from our wicked ways. We just want to avoid the consequence of them. I want to continue in my wickedness. I just don't want to suffer any consequence. And that's not going to happen. Turn from their wicked ways. What's the promise? They will hear from heaven. Don't we need the ear of God today? Don't we need to cry out to God today and He promises, If you do this, then I'll hear from heaven? I'll hear. That's what I'm counting on. I'll hear. Forgive their sin. Oh, we need a washing. Forgive their sin. Heal their land. Folks, I I, I don't see or my hope is not in the Democratic Party, it's not in the Republican Party. It is not in the independence. My hope is in God's people crying out to God. If my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. I believe that our foundation is spiritual. Our founding fathers built this nation upon Christianity. I believe that. I believe this nation was founded. Upon Christianity. Our future is fragile. We can be like the original settlers who came for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, or we can be like their descendants who turned away from God. Either way. But our faith is critical. Your faith is critical. Your purity is critical. It's interesting to me that the tallest structure in Washington, D.C., is the Washington Monument. Inscribed on the pinnacle of the Washington Monument are these words, Let God be praised. That is inscribed on the tallest structure in Washington, D.C. Let God be praised. We need an awakening that turns us back to God. And I believe that it can begin with you, that it can begin with me, but it has to begin somewhere. And why not with us? But there's going to have to be a renewed reverence to God and repentance of sin. And then we claim the promise of God. But I believe that God wants to send revival if His people desire revival our father and god we come to a time of examination a time of invitation and i pray heavenly father that you might look deep into our hearts and show us what you see lord it's easy for us to cast stones at others while we cover our own wickedness lord i pray today that we will see what you see in our hearts that we'll be obedient to the leadership of your Holy Spirit during this invitation time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand sing a hymn of invitation. Staff will be here at the front for you to respond. If you're here without Christ, would you commit your life to Him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. If God has spoken to your heart about a renewed commitment, then you come. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing, You come, I'll greet you as you do.